once upon a time as a hedge fund manager, I had a giant loss. I turned to drinking, I turned to reality shows. It was very strange. But that giant loss made me never want to take a big loss again. So sometimes a giant loss can be helpful in helping you, you know, see what the world is and prevent from, you know, it happening ever again. My guest today is Tim Sykes. Tim is a penny stock trader, teacher, and became a self-made millionaire by the age of 22 years old. In high school, he used the $12,415 he'd saved from his bar mitzvah money to invest. Before he graduated, he turned that $12,000 into $125,000. Today, he's earned close to $7 million in profit, all from trading. Several years ago, he established the Tim Sykes Trading Challenge. His goal? to teach aspiring traders how to follow his trading strategies and make money. To date, 21 of his students have become millionaires. I recently sat down with Tim to talk about how he turns average traders into millionaires and also why philanthropy plays a major role in his life. All right, Tim Sykes, uh, Thank you so much, man, for being on the show. I've been looking forward for a long time. We've known each other. I think the last time I saw you was 2015. You were in my office. Uh, you dropped some weight. You're looking good. You're looking younger. And I know you're definitely a lot richer. So uh, th thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. No, it's my honor to be here. Thank you for having me on. All right. Last time I, we, we spent some time in my conference room, I think it was 2015, you were on Instagram, and I knew zero about Instagram. And at the time, you were just taking pictures, snapping things, writing things. And I think you had 50,000 followers. Get me up to date. How many Instagram followers do you have now, now that I do know something about Instagram? Yeah, so I'm up to 1.5 million followers. Um, I had a, a tremendous growth spurt when I was uh, posting stacks of cash in my cars. And then I would have broke rappers steal the photos, and I would call the broke rappers out. And I would get in little beefs um, and get featured on like TMZ and really kept growing. Um, haven't really grown in the past three years because um, I've switched it up. Um, you know, I sold all my cars. I donate any extra cash I have to charity. Um, I now have 77 schools built uh, with my charity. So my, my priorities have changed. My social media has changed. Um, and I, I like to, you know, talk about what I think more people should do, even if it's not as popular um, on Instagram. Um, the good news is my charity, uh, Karmagawa has been created. Um, and that actually has 1.2 million followers out of the blue. And we're trying Amazing. to, you know, get people to, to want to, you know, care, um, about education, the environment, animals. Um, and it's tough on social media. You know, most people just take selfies and they're trying to show their luxuries. Um, it's very, uh, influenced by Kim Kardashian and, you know, Kanye West and, and, Frankly, I just have different values. So I'm trying to share those values. You know, going back when we first met, I think your stepdad, we met a little beforehand. Uh, he came to the office because I think he wanted a pastrami sandwich from one of the delis. And uh, we, gave him one, we gave him one. We gave him one. I think he was <laughs> really happy about that. And, he gets angry if he doesn't uh, have a sandwich. <laughs> and it, what, what I found, which was really interesting, I thought you were going to be some type of like, you know, Pain in the ass guy, you know, like all full of himself. Right. And, and I remember at the time he was telling us that, you know, the cars and everything, he goes, you really were never into them. It was really like yeah. you're putting on a thing. And it did. And then when I met you, I said, pretty down to earth guy. So I guess, you know, I hear what you're saying. And it's and I'm so happy to hear that you found 
where you're comfortable at now, you know? Uh, so that's really, I think, a real positive thing. Yeah. I mean, the cars, I don't, I don't regret it. Um, I mean, I, it was a childhood dream. I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. It was a dream of mine to, you know, drive, let alone own these cars. Um, and I own, you know, all of them, the Lamborghinis, the Ferraris, the McLarens, I had a Rolls Royce. Um, but when I got my second Lamborghini, like I was shocked. I felt nothing. Like there was no adrenaline rush, no happiness. And I think you have to listen to yourself and say, wait a minute, okay, maybe this was going to fulfill me. Maybe you thought it was going to fulfill you, but it doesn't. You have to move on because I know a lot of wealthy people where they get rich, they have all the toys in the world, but they're still not happy. And then they're a little depressed because they're like, I've done everything. I should be happy, but you know, money can't buy happiness. Right? So like for me, it was the challenge of buying the cars. I did it. I was proud to show it. I'm, I'm proud to share it on social media because that inspires a lot of other um, people to study harder and chase their dreams. But now, you know, new challenge. Now my goal is to build a thousand plus schools and we're roughly 8% of the way. So I got a uh, big dream still, but right. they've just changed. Right. Yeah. You also got older. <laughs> you also got older. Well, you, you, yeah. You live and, and you figure out what makes you happy. And now right. every time we open a new school, I try to attend. It's been a little tough in the past year, but you know, before COVID, I mean, I, I tried to attend all of them. The communities all celebrate. It's a beautiful moment yeah, and yeah. It gives me you know, tremendous pleasure. So yeah, I you got to do what makes you happy. And, and it's my honor to share this on social media. I, I shared my entire journey. Great. Hold on to the charity stuff. Cause I definitely want to get into that. I'm excited about yeah. it because I remember when you first started, I think it was called pencils. Uh, what was it? You're building schools. What was that? Yeah. Called? So we, I mean, it was the Timothy Sykes foundation, but we donate to pencils of promise, Bali children's project. We donate to, to different charities around the right, world. They actually right. do the building. I just, we just give them money. Right, right. Love it. Hang on to all that, man, because I definitely want to get into that. That is really sweet. So when I first met you, you told me the story, and I thought, it can't be. It's too good. You took 12000 and change of your bar mitzvah money. You turned it into $125,000 by the time you graduated high school. Tell me what, what, was, what are high school kids doing like you instead of chasing girls or tried up for the football team, you were trading and making money. How did that develop? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a tennis player, but I got injured. Um, I lost in the state finals uh, junior year. Senior year, I wanted to win so badly, I overtrained. I was playing two, three hours a day. I'm lifting two hours a day, not regimented, no, no coach, no trainer, just all doing it myself. I overworked myself. Um, so now my dad calls it a million dollar injury because I had uh, Tommy John surgery on my elbow. I, I couldn't do anything. I had two casts, Tommy John surgery. You take something out of your other arm and put it in this arm. So I'm walking around school like RoboCop, but I could still type. Um, and the stock market was going crazy. This was 1999, 2000. So right place, right time. I was already into college early admission. So I didn't really have to try at school. Um, so no tennis, no school, stock market in my face every day. At first I was, you know, an investor. I had like Viacom, uh, Supercut stock, uh, Boston Celtic stocks. Those were my first three stocks. About my $12,000 would go from like 12,400 to 12,300 to 12,500, like month over month. And I'm like, this is so boring. And I gravitated towards lower price stocks, penny stocks, which the whole world hates, but they were going crazy. And I started trading them and I, I started noticing some patterns. It wasn't, I didn't like cash in on any one play. Um, I usually sell too soon to this day, 20 plus years later, I still sell too soon, but I'm trying to profit from the volatility. And we're seeing this now as we film this in early 2021, we've had a very similar um, crazy OTC market in the past six, nine months that we did back in 1999 and 2000. So 
right place, right time. And now, right now, I'm actually having record profits too. Although right now I donate all my trading profits to charity and I, I make video lessons. Back then, no discipline. I would have, you know, a 50% winner, then a 50% loser, a 70% winner, and then a 30% loser, like all over the place. Now, rule number one that I've learned over 20 plus years is cut losses quickly. So I don't have the 70% winners anymore. I have much smaller profits, but I also have much smaller losses and less frustration. So even in my trading journey, I've grown to be more conservative. And that's just something that happens over time. But even after you made this money in high school, and then you went out to college, you started a hedge fund and that, that really didn't do too well, right? After a while. Yeah. I mean, my strategy with penny stocks is good for small accounts. Um, I didn't realize the, the limitations. I didn't know about scalability. Again, I'm all self-taught. No one, you know, teaches to trade penny stocks. Um, no one wants to. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And, you know, I was just a cocky kid who had made a lot in high school. Then I graduated uh, college making nearly $2 million. And I thought I could, you know, if I could turn 12,000 into 2 million, I can turn 2 million into 2 billion. Not quite accurate. Uh, with penny stocks, I can, I, I've always been able to do well with a few thousand dollars, a few thousand shares, and it adds up, but very small compared to the hedge fund world. Um, and in, in my hedge fund, I mean, we got up to like 3.2 million, but it just wasn't moving the needle. I was a number one ranked short bias fund, um, but it was like small dollar amounts. So I went for a home run. I invested in my best friend's dad's company. Uh, it was an online uh, ticketing company, great technology. But I learned that, you know, just because you have a good technology doesn't mean that the stock is good. And they were weighed down by debts. Management got thrown out. They declared bankruptcy. My hedge fund lost basically a third. Um, so I learned not to believe in companies. I learned, you know, how non-scalable my strategy was and how to cut losses quickly. So I had success, but while you're having success, I still had losses along the way. And the losses have now made me a better trader. So you'll, you, so take me there. So you had the hedge fund. How old are you now with, with the hedge fund? How old are What's you? Up? How old are you now? Um, I started in senior year, of, senior year of college, but it took four years, uh, three years of really doing nothing. And then the fourth year, I lost like a third. Overall, we finished up 2% per year over four years. It was okay. like nothing. So you're 23, 24 years old. Your dream of turning 2 million into 2 billion is a little couple of roadblocks. It's not as easy. And <laughs> believe me, you know, back in uh, 98, 99, we had great years managing futures. And we got 20% of the profits. I started doing some calculations. I should have been as rich as Buffett by now, but... It's never linear, you know, it just doesn't, you know, right. it goes great and then like boom, and then you start to figure it all out again. So yeah, it's fun to do it while it's working, but you know, it's, it's really tough. So how did you pull yourself out of that? Like, um, I mean, I started drinking heavily, um, really depressed for several months. I got offered a reality show. Um, none of my investors were, were asking for money back. Cause again, we were still up, but I was just depressed that I was learning, you know, that it wasn't scalable. So it, it wouldn't have mattered if I continued as a hedge fund, but I did the reality show against everyone's advice. And because I was pretty much a drunk in every episode, it turned out to be a hit. It's called Wall Street Warriors. What do you mean, um, do you, mean you were drunk? You were literally drunk. You were really hitting the bottle that hard? I, I was, I was really depressed. You know, oh. my whole like dreams were, were up in smoke. And then fortunately for me, um, the reality show called and you know, I, I was still trading. I, like, again, I, I, aside from the big wins and the, the crash, like I could still make like $2,000, $3,000. So I always had my small gains, but in the hedge fund world, that's just meaningless. So I'm trading 
after the market closed, I start drinking. The reality show calls, offers me a spot. I'm like, yeah, why not? I got nothing to lose. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to be entertaining on the reality show. You know, like, for example, we played golf in one episode and golf on TV is pretty boring. So I decided to spice it up. I start drinking and I purposely hit the ball into the water. I jump into the water. They're filming me and I like just find a ball. I go down to the bottom of the pond and I find a ball. I'm like, this is my ball. And the reality show becomes a hit. Everyone says, hey, I want to learn how to trade. So I had the choice. Do I continue running a hedge fund, which, you know, again, I can make my $2,000, $3,000 a day. And, you know, it adds up to maybe a few hundred thousand per year, but it's nothing in the hedge fund world. Or do I take advantage of this reality show and people wanting to learn? And I said, let me let me close down the hedge fund. Let me get into teaching, which sounds crazy because most people who teach in finance are like snake oil salesmen, hedge funds. I mean, this is the, the biggest earning industry in the world. But I knew my limitations and I saw an opportunity when most teachers are fake. All I had to do was be real. So I got into teaching. How did the reality show find you? Um, I was uh, on CNBC uh, and I, I was in Trader Monthly's uh, top 30 under 30. So I was like rewarded. And this is what's so weird. Like back then, hedge funds weren't allowed to share their performance openly. So I was the number one rated fund for three years. So there's a delay in, in reporting that. So Trader Monthly saw I was number one. I was in the top 30 under 30. What they didn't know, while I was on CNBC, I had basically lost all of the gains from the past three years. So I'm getting rewarded on TV for the first CNBC interview, drunk. I could barely see the wow, camera. Wow. Um, it was just a very strange world where I'm, I'm like getting rewarded, but I know that my hedge fund isn't doing that well. I know that my strategy isn't that scalable. So it, it was very strange times. Man, it must have been surreal. You know, you're on there, you talk, they're talking about how great you are, and you know inside that I'm being torn and I apart. Can't, I can't say anything. You're not allowed to talk about your performance, good or bad, back then. So I'm really? just like, wow. I'm like, ah, oh. it, was, it was annoying. So I wow. also got into teaching, not because I thought of, of a, a good business opportunity. I just wanted to share everything. I was so boxed in where I couldn't talk about my losses. I couldn't talk openly. And I was like, let me just close down the hedge fund so I can teach. Like this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be like regulated. Obviously now hedge funds, you can say whatever you want, but 20 years ago, you, you know, there was right, severe right. regulation. Right. What, what, what drove you? Like, why did you say I want to teach? Like you found a way to make money and it would have been doing great if you didn't have a hedge fund or even if the hedge fund closed, you still wouldn't be able to make money. What motivated you to share this with the world? Because most of the guys that I know on Wall Street, it, they, they used to lock, back in the day, they used to lock their desk drawer. You know, they didn't want, they didn't want you even borrowing a pencil. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to give you any part of their life or what's going on. Why were you so yeah. open? I mean, I, I think it was more than just the money. It was my blood boiling. Like I, I had always back then made money short selling penny stocks. So I was like, you know, seeing all the scams and I was like, no, these are scams. Then when I was on a TV show, uh, even though people said they wanted to learn, once I started saying, hey, I'm, I'm betting against scams, I'm short selling penny stocks, people were like, no, that's illegal. And I was like, it is legal. I'm using E-Trade. Like, I just hate misinformation. So for me, it wasn't even like a choice. My blood boiled every time someone said, you know, you're a criminal, you're, you're illegally shorting. And I was just like, let me just teach this. Like, let me talk about my performance, good and bad. Let me talk about my losses, my gains. Um, and I, I think that any business based on like the truth is going to succeed when there's regulations or when so many people have like misconceptions and, and just no real guidance. So right, I, I right. saw the opportunity and it wasn't about like, like, Oh, I, I want to do this for money. I was like, I need to do this 
to like cleanse my soul. It was like a, you know, a confession. Like so, teaching so, for me was my, my confession. So you were really on a mission because, you know, back in the day, just to keep, you know, our listeners up to speed, back in, I don't know if they still do it, but back in the early 2000s that they used to have these pump and dump schemes. The IR companies used to spend so much money pumping up these penny stocks, which were virtually worthless, get the public in. They would be selling shares at the top, move away. All these innocent people would buy and then it would just plunge. And you were going out attacking them by short selling the stock. So many times they would spend millions of dollars promoting a stock and the stock wouldn't rise. It would go down. That was because of guys like you. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I was shorting small size. Like I wasn't like causing the drop. No, no, but know, but Tim, let, me get, let me go out and say you were pretty vocal back in the day. If I remember back, you were out there saying that these things are scams. Nobody was calling oh, them yeah. scams. Oh, I was very vocal. But the problem was, this is another reason for my lack of scalability. There weren't that many shares to short. Right. I would, you know, I would write a blog post. I would be vocal about it. And I would short like 5,000 shares and make like 5,000 bucks. Right. And, you know, I met a few of these promoters a few years later. And they were like, you cost me 20 million. You cost me 50 million. And I was like, yeah, I made like 3,000 shorting your stock. Well, by the way, did any of these guys ever threaten you with death or anything or... Um, I got a few death threats, um, but then, you know, uh, again, I, I wasn't like, um, I, I wasn't saying like, you know, lock them up. I, I said that there's always going to be promoters and there still are like today, you know, it's moved on to crypto. There might not be mailers anymore, but there's a lot of like discord chat rooms, social media pumps, WhatsApp pumps. Um, I, I think there's always going to be pumpers and, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I don't want to get into whether they should be in jail or not. I, I think it's wrong, but at the same time, there's always going to be someone. So for me, education, this was another answer where I was like, how do you protect individual investors through education? They're always going to get, you know, pitched by promoters. Most people are just not financially proficient enough to know that they're getting involved in a pump. But if I can educate, then I could theoretically help them. And, you know, some people said like, well, Tim, if you, if you educate everyone and there are no more pumps, like you're out of business. And I'm like, fine. Like for me, I miss my college graduation for a trade. So this is another thing why I got into teaching. And I was like, let me put myself out of business. Cause I'm, I'm kind of like, this is a gift and the curse. Like, yes, I'm making money more times than not, but I'm so, I can't say no to these trades. Cause I know that they're going to crash. Like they're very high odds and it's kind of stealing my life away from me. So very uh, interesting conflicts. And, you know, just talking about it openly, I was just like, this is also like my therapy too. Right. I, I don't think you're ever going to be out of business. There's always going to be great promoters and there's always be suckers out there who are just going to just uh, hook, line and sinker, man. It just, and that's the reality. You know, that's this is now a dozen, a dozen plus years later, I've been teaching 3,000 blog posts, 7,000 video lessons. I try my best to teach people, but a lot of people are falling in love with, you know, just junk as always. It's just right, greed. Right, right. Human nature. All right. So you, you, how do you start teaching? Like, what do you do? You put a blog post out there? So I wrote a book um, called An American Hedge Fund. I thought it was going to be a bestseller. Like, this is the American dream story. Um, it bombed. It, it totally bombed. But while I was promoting it, um, you know, I, I was learning how I actually have my book right here. This was not planned. I just looked. This is my first book. It was it was literally just sitting here. What a, what a crazy coincidence. Um, but it was my promotion of that book that created my whole social media, because how do you promote a book? Like Wiley offered me like 35,000 to publish this. But then I started doing the math, like 35,000 for my life story. Like it's better if I self publish. So I created my own publishing company 
How do I promote the book? I created timothysykes.com, my blog. I got on Twitter. I got, I wasn't even on Instagram early on, but I was just talking about my strategy. Again, I'm, you know, I was like in this cage of regulations as a hedge fund manager. Now, not a hedge fund manager anymore. I can say whatever I want. You, so you, you, I wrote the book. You were running, you, you were running free and naked, man. It was like you were in a straight jacket. It was beautiful, and now you know, it was like releasing an animal into right, the wild. Right. And, I hear you, you know, again, the book might have bombed, but I fell in love with teaching on social media. The book is, is, you know, it's the same book that I wrote, you know, 15 plus years ago, social media is constantly updating. That was better uh, for me as a teacher. I mean, my first website, I didn't even have like a chat room. Obviously now we have chat rooms and we're like talking about our trades and commentary back then there were no chat uh, technologies available. So a chat back then was me writing a blog post and then people leaving comments underneath that. And you would have to refresh the blog post to see the next comment. So it was crazy. And then I built my first chat room. So it was step by step. So when you first started teaching, was there a line at your door or it took time to develop? Um, I was fortunate. Uh, I've always been very lucky. I feel like I'm like Jewish Forrest Gump. Um, it's kind of crazy where like things just happen to me, but there was a website called Covester, uh, where you could, uh, upload your trades. They would tap into your brokerage account and verify them. Um, so I was like, this is perfect. Let me show that I'm real, you know, in an industry where 90% of traders lose, no one's really sharing their performance. All the bloggers joined Covester. Um, this was like the, the beginning of financial blogging and I became the number one ranked, uh, you know, trader, whatever you want to call it, financial blogger on Covester at a 60,000 users. I, I went back to my initial $12,000 and I was making video lessons and I was showing how to grow 12,000. And within two and a half years, um, I grew the 12,000 to like 250,000, not huge money again, um, according to, you know, hedge funds or wall street, but a lot of people have 12,000. A lot of people would like to grow their fund like that. So I showed everything. I became number one. Uh, there was a time where even if you Googled Covester, my name would come up first because wow. I, I used it so much because I showed all my trades and I'm like, I'm number one. And what were you doing? You were shorting penny stocks or going long also? Um, it was a mix, the, the majority of the time shorting, but, um, you know, now, like right now, as we're doing this in early 2021, I haven't shorted in, in months. Like I, it's crazy in this bull so market but back then. <laughs> yeah. Back then I was shorting and going long. Um, when these pumps crash, uh, they usually drop 40, 50, 60, 70% in one day. Then they bounce the next day because the promoters tend to try to support them so that there's no investigation. So you get 40, 50, 60, 70% crashes, then 40, 50, 60, 70% bounces the very next day. So I, to this day, I still love dip buying, you know, pumps as they crash. So you started to recognize when you were teaching your subscribers, you were, you were showing them how the game was played from your perspective, and you kept showing them these patterns that continually developed? Yeah, exactly. So I have, you know, all these video lessons, DVDs, um, watch lists, all focused on like, you know, when is this pump going to crash? Like there's signs when the volume starts receding back then, you know, I signed up to all the different promoters email lists when they stopped sending out uh, promotions, the budget was exhausted. So then the stocks would crash. It's like a, you know, a jet plane with, with no fuel left. It's, it's not a question of if it's a question of when, um, and then I would either try to short it or try to dip by it or both. So now that you start to build up your track record in terms, not track record, I shouldn't say that, in terms of the, the masses, you're bringing in a lot of people. And you, if I recall, and just hearing from you now, you were very transparent. You showed them everything. Uh, and uh, weren't you concerned that there would be more people doing the same trade 
cutting out your profitability and cutting out everyone else's profitability? Yeah, 100%. From the the get-go, I was thinking that that was a a potential repercussion of my teaching where literally everyone would do the same thing and there would be no more opportunity. But again, I would be a successful teacher and I wouldn't have to trade. So I I would kind of like fix my addiction. Um, but as it turned out, you know, it's, it's kind of like putting, you know, oil in water, like you can try to, you know, kill the oil, but it just creates new bubbles and it creates new patterns. Um, and what I've learned also, like over the years is that, you know, people trade differently. Like I can, I can give them the exact pattern I use, the exact rules, and they'll see it in a different way. Like it's no different. Like if you try to, you know, be a great chef and the chef gives you the exact instructions, you might not make the the perfect recipe like that. So everyone's a little different. Um, And I, you know, frankly, I have fans who, who like my strategy. I have doubters who like to bet against me every time I make a trade. I said, you're welcome to do whatever you want. I don't, I don't encourage anyone to follow anybody. I think that you should learn the patterns, learn the rules and see what works best for you. Like for me right now, I don't short sell because I'm just scared of these squeezes. It's frustrating to find shares to short. You have to wake up earlier. I'm traveling a lot, but I know a lot of my top students, they only short sell. And that's fine. Like, like trading is, is so wide open. This game is much bigger than, than anybody realizes. And there's so many different opportunities, but you have to find what works best for you based on your own strengths and weaknesses. And I didn't realize that in the beginning, I was like, here's the pattern, here are the rules. This is the way it's done. Now, a decade after teaching, I see it's, you know, I just share my stuff and people can react. Let's take a quick break for a word from today's sponsors. And when we come back, Tim will reveal how his followers have become millionaires. You hear that? That's what turkeys sound like. You know what else sounds like turkeys? This. There's a lot of value there. How do you see that? Yeah, you really have to break it up into the sections of healthcare. Wall Street talking heads with no chance of helping you make big money in stocks. Why? Because they can't. According to Standard & Poor's, 92% of active fund managers underperform their benchmark. 92%. 92%. And you know who suffers for it? Millions of Main Street Americans just like you. That's why Charles Mizrahi is on a mission. A mission to help 1 million Americans take back their financial future in a way that's fun, easy to use, and profitable. And with nearly 100,000 people already on their way, you could be next. So don't listen to the turkeys. Instead, listen to how America's number one alpha investor, Charles Mizrahi, could help you make more money in two weeks than most investors make in two years. To see how, go to investingpatriots.com. That's investingpatriots, all one word, dot com. I guarantee you'll be glad you did. How much did you make in the stock market last year? 10%? 20%? Well, over the last four years, one man has been showing investors how to make nearly four times better returns than the market's benchmark. The four-year return? 278%. A new update to the strategy shows how investors could have made a 100% return in three out of the last four years. In three out of the last four years, they would have doubled their money. I guarantee you will have a very hard time finding a traditional financial advisor who can help you make returns like this. Head over to tradewithchad.com to see how it's possible. Don't let the so-called conventional wisdom that you can only make 10% a year in the stock market stand in your way. That's tradewithchad.com. So you're giving your your uh, subscribers a, fr- a foundation, a framework of how to think about markets, how to think about stocks. And if they want to add their little crinkles onto it, you have no problem with that. And you're basically telling me that creates an enormous amount of opportunity because they could apply it to something else or they might not see it the same way. You know, and everyone's happy. 
Yeah. So I was just, you know, in Dubai with one of my first students. He invited me out to Dubai. He's buying a yacht. He used my patterns on crypto. He stunk as a penny stock trader, but now he's made hundreds of millions of dollars using my patterns on crypto. And I don't trade crypto, but it's worked for him. And, and that's beautiful to me because I didn't anticipate that, um, but it works for him. So that's cool. Okay. So now when we first met, I think, I, I remember you and your partner, Zach, were all excited because you just got one new guy who became a millionaire, right? Yeah. This is back 2015 or 2016, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. My memory, yeah. I think it was 2015, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One guy yeah, was a millionaire. Took, I got started teaching and it took a, a few years to create right. a millionaire. Okay. Today, how many guys have you created? How, how many of your students have become millionaires? Three, five? So 20 guys and now one female. So 21, uh, 21. students who have crossed over a million dollars, some over two, some over 10. Um, it's all over the place, but it's really gone up the past six months with this OTC bubble with all this kind of like stimulus check uh, funded volatility, right? Where there's just more and more people trading than ever before. And it's just gotten insane. It's like I said, it's back like 1999, 2000. So what happens when the markets go down again, or because they eventually will, trees don't go to the sky and things will change. Will these patterns still be as valid and, and uh, these methodologies still work? I don't know. We'll see. I, I try to just react to the patterns. Frankly, I'm, I'm long overdue for a vacation. I mean, you see my, my hair, I haven't even had time to get a haircut. Mm. Um, right now, you know, we're, we're filming this, uh, in early 2021, it's already begun to slow down compared to January and February. February was like peak mania for OTCs. Um, now March and April, much slower already. So, uh, the market ebbs and flows. And, and if the patterns stop working, fantastic. Um, I think that there's always going to be small companies and there's always going to be promoters, you know, hyping up the news, whatever it is. And now you have crypto, which again, I don't trade crypto. I want to be very clear about that. I have imposters and impersonators now on social media where they say that, you know, they're Tim Sykes and they trade crypto. Mm. I would love to trade crypto, but I don't want to stay up all the time because it's 24 seven. And I don't want anyone uh, thinking that these imposters are me. Unfortunately, crypto is very unregulated. Penny stocks are, are like the wild west. Crypto is like the wild, wild, wild west. Um, and I just, I don't have time for that. But I'm, I'm glad that apparently my patterns work in it. So it is what it is. So now these people who come to you, they, they're just regular, regular people, right? Nothing, they don't come with big bank accounts. Correct. Uh, what are they starting with? 100,000? I mean, average student, my average student starts with two, three, five thousand dollars $5,000. And then they build up their profits and then they go up into the stage where they make serious money? Yeah. I mean, usually what's happened with pretty much like the last dozen or so um, students, like they started with two or 3000, they grow it to like five, 10, 20, 30,000. They start to like see that they can grow it exponentially. Then they add like 20 or 30,000 so they can get to like 50 or 60. Then they get, you know, they can take bigger positions. So it's a step-by-step. -step. A lot of people sign up with me. They're not even sure. They're just willing to give me a chance. But once they start seeing the plays in real time and they start seeing that, oh, wait a minute, there's something here, they get more confidence. And, and they usually add on like uh, a year, a year and a half into their journey once they get experience. And I think that's good. Like I always tell people, 
like, whether you believe me or not, start small, paper trade, like start to witness this volatility. Like I don't, I don't mind if people disbelieve me. My first millionaire student actually wrote a blog post that said Timothy Sykes is full of BS. And we went back and forth in the comments. I always respond to my haters. This is the beauty of full transparency. He gave me a chance. Now he's over 2 million. He's my chat room moderator. So I don't mind the skepticism. You should be skeptical of anybody on the internet who claims like, look, I have this magic strategy. But for me, I just share my wins, my losses. You know, I still lose 30% of the time, but rule number one is cut losses quickly. So I like showing the process. You don't have to believe me like this isn't blind faith investing in my hedge fund. This is me teaching my process day in, day out, no matter where I am. So what would you say would be the number one reason why a lot of your students, not a lot, but why students are not successful? Yeah, I mean, industry stats say 90% of traders lose. And, and I would say the majority of anybody's, uh, you know, trading uh, students or anybody in the trading industry loses because they don't take it seriously. Like they, they think like, oh, I'll throw some money. It'll be fun. It's like Vegas. But trading is all about discipline. It's actually not you versus the market. It's you versus you. So when I say rule number one is cut losses quickly, I have a lot of two, three, 5% losses. I, I mean, sometimes I get unlucky. Sometimes like the stock is halted or whatever, and I lose like 20 or 30%. But very rarely will you see me take these big losses that undisciplined traders do. They lose all the time. Very similar to me in the beginning where I would lose 20, 30, 50% just because I didn't want to take the two or 3% loss. Um, so discipline matters. Also patience too. Like you said, because the market has been so hot, it's not going to last forever. Sometimes you have to pull back. So trading is always about adapting and modulating. People can't handle that. It's their ego. It's their stubbornness. We're taught that, you know, if you're winning gradually or consistently, you think of it like as it, like a job, like you're getting paid weekly or bi-monthly. That's not true with trading. I mean, I've already made nearly a million dollars in 2021 in just the first few months, but now in the past few weeks, very few opportunities on basically break even. That's trading and you have to, you know, be willing to push on the pedal when you're hot and then take your foot off the pedal when it's not. And, and a lot of people just don't think like that. A lot of the lessons are counterintuitive. Right. So would you say, what were the majority of your students? Are they young people, old people, all over the map, male, female? What's the typical? I mean, they're all over the map, but by and large male, um, it shouldn't be. I mean, statistics say that females are actually better traders, but I still think there's this, um, you know, just, uh, assumption that this is a guy's game, but it, it shouldn't be, you know, the internet democratizes it all for everybody. Um, but mostly young people, mostly guys, um, a lot of them have just seen my, you know, I've done a few reality shows now. Um, so they, they see me on, on TV. Um, they see me, you know, on social media. So like social media is geared towards younger people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll teach anybody, but those are just the demos. And when you say you, you're teaching them, explain that to me. How does that process work? Uh, you have thousands of students I sign up, you don't have the time to spend with me alone, right? Correct. I, I, I don't spend time with anybody alone. I'm, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I'm just putting out watch lists, video lessons. You see my screen, webinars. I donate all my trading profits to charity. So I'm trying to teach you the process. So like, if I do a trade, it's not out of the blue. Usually the stock was already on my watch list pre-market or the night before I said, if this stock breaks this level, I'm going to buy it. You know, I'm, I'm looking for this pattern. I link to a blog post. I link to a video lesson. I link to a DVD. So I'm trying to show people that, you know, what is my plan ahead of time? Then if, and when the stock is acting the way I think I execute on that plan. Um, so it's, you know, again, I, I do watch lists, commentary, trade alerts, video lessons, DVDs, software, uh, chat room, so many different ways. And, and just trying to, to basically 
get this, whatever I'm thinking, out into the world. Gotcha. So you donate all your profits to charity. How are you making money? You, you, what are you charging membership or services? Yeah, so we have membership fees um, so people can choose their, their dedication level. You know, you can choose watch lists and alerts only. You can choose video lessons. You can choose um, where, you know, my, my trading challenge, this is like my, my premium coaching where you get two, three, four live webinars a week, not just for me, but now my top students are also giving back. So we have this whole community and you have access to all the archive webinars um, you know, you don't have to spend a dime. I have 1500 free videos now on YouTube. So everyone can choose how they want to learn. Um, I just keep, you know, creating content every day based on what I see happening, good or bad. Like today, after this podcast, I'm going to make a video lesson, how I made three grand today, four trades, two wins, two losses, but I cut my losses quicker. The gains were bigger plus three K on the day. So tell me now, how did you jump or not jump, but how did philanthropy uh, just evolve from this and how did it become such a big part of your life? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, it, it's always funny the way these things begin. My friend Neil actually built a school in Cambodia. Neil and I have always been competitive. And I was like, if Neil's building a school in Cambodia, I'm going to build a school in Cambodia. So I, I got in touch with the charity. I built a school that's three times the size of Neil's right next to his. I went to Cambodia. He doesn't even like to travel. So I went to Cambodia with my iPhone. I said, Neil, here's your school. And I showed the little school. And then I had all the kids stand in front of my school and they're all cheering. And I was like, here's my school, Neil. And, you know, he didn't like that. And that was funny to me. Um, but a funny thing happened when I was being, you know, a competitive dick in Cambodia. Um, like, I, I loved it. I, I loved going to the third world country, experiencing this. I, I was always a traveler. I mean, all throughout, you know, even when I was a hedge fund manager, even before I was a hedge fund manager, I loved traveling. But traveling to third world countries is very different. I'm not just chilling in the pool with a pina colada. I'm visiting with these communities. These communities, man, many of them have nothing. Um, so I'm, I'm hugging these kids. Like it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I started getting obsessed. So I built one school, built two more schools in Nepal, built a school in Bali, um, all third world countries where like literally they've never even seen like white people before. So I'm visiting them, learning about them. They're so appreciative of, of finally having the chance at education. And then I started getting competitive with myself. Um, you know, my goal is to build a thousand plus schools. So I started donating my trading profits. Um, this is actually charity uh, merch. So I have uh, apparel where we donate all the profits to charity. We have fundraisers now on Facebook. Last year, we raised a million dollars just with the social mm -hmm. media following. Um, so just trying to help the world through schooling. But as I started going to a lot of these countries with schooling, I mean, schooling is, is like a multi-year, multi-decade effort to really get any changes. As we're visiting a lot of these countries, I started seeing a lot of things that were more urgent. Um, like the coral reefs and the, the situation with uh, poachers of endangered species. So along the way, we started donating to uh, animal sanctuaries, uh, charities like Vet Paw that protect endangered species. I did a documentary down in South Africa on the rhino poaching crisis, which people don't even know about. Like, do you know about like the rhinos? Not much. The rhino horns are made of keratin, the same thing in our fingernails and in our hair. But there are these myths out there that rhino horn can cure cancer, that it's an aphrodisiac. Again, misinformation. So misinformation follows me. My blood starts to boil and I just have to get good information out there. Rhino are literally going to be extinct at the current rate in the next decade or two because we're killing them for these horns where people think these horns cure cancer, which they don't. So we're killing an entire species specifically based on misinformation. So I had to do a documentary on that and we talk about it you know, quite often. And, and what did your charity do for that? What did you, uh, what did you say? So we donated, 
So we donated $250,000 to VetPod. Then we did a documentary featuring a bunch of other charities like Rhino Rescue Project. We donated um, all the profits uh, from that documentary. We asked for donations at the end of it. We created merch with Rhino on it. Um, and we raised nearly a million dollars for those charities. So um, always trying to, to educate and get people to give back. And the crazy thing, I mean, a lot of these schools, like in Nepal or in Bali or in Guatemala, those schools are $25,000, dollars $50,000, like not huge amounts to those of us in the first so, so world. Wait a second. So when you're building a school, right, so you have, first of all, how do you find these locations? Do you do this or you have someone on the ground do that for you? If I want to yeah, so if I wanna donate a school, charity. what do I do? Like, uh, how do I go about doing this? Yeah, so I mean, there's always local charities like the Cambodian Village Fund built the schools in Cambodia. We also built a soccer uh, stadium because the, the town wanted that more than the school and that united like three towns. That was cool. Um, Pencils of Promise has built over 500 schools. So I donated uh, over $2 million to them. Um, and they built schools in Guatemala, Ghana, uh, and Laos. I went to Laos and you know, visited uh, and saw the community and stuff like that. So, I mean, again, I'm not personally building. I, I just donate the money to these charities and the charities have local contacts and they get it done. Although the pandemic has slowed down construction uh, considerably. Right. So you're, you're basically leveraging your, your talents and finding these organizations and giving the money and they're, they're turbocharging this. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I run the social media accounts for, you know, Karmagawa, which is my charity, and then Save the Reef was an offshoot because we learned how uh, endangered coral reefs are. And, you know, I don't even like going underwater. And I, I just found out how coral reefs are so important to marine life. There's a whole ecosystem that really impacts our planet. Um, and we're killing coral reefs everywhere with, with the way that we treat marine life. You know, if you have sunscreen, right, like the chemicals in the sunscreen, if there's one drop of the chemicals in the sunscreen in uh, an area the size of an Olympic-sized swimming pool, all the coral reefs die. So think about that. People like in Hawaii, people in any beach town where you're wearing all the sunscreen, you're going in the water, all the coral reefs are dead. And we don't think about it because we don't see it because it's underwater, but it's gonna you know, have some devastating consequences in the coming years, unfortunately. What is the name of your charity, Carmagawa? Yeah, so it was the Timothy Sykes Foundation, but I got kind of weirded out where all these schools, all these buildings said Tim on them. Like I know most rich people, like they need that for their ego. I need less ego. So I wanted to get away from that. I already have enough of an ego. Um, so Karmagawa, um, I took on a partner. His name is Matt Abad. He's a great photographer because um, I wanted to, not just to donate, but also take photos and, and share the story of this. Um, and we really clicked. You know, we wanted to change the world. He grew up um, in the slums of Manila. So he's had a, an amazing run um, just from growing up very impoverished. And now he's one of the best photographers I know. Um, so we changed the name um, and I took him on as a partner in this charity, uh, Gawa in the Filipino Tagalog language means to do or to make. So it's basically like we're making karma. We're, we're, we're making good karma by donating and, you know, teaching people about this. Um, and he takes all the photos and now we have a ton of foot, uh, photographers and videographers who come on our trips uh, or did before the pandemic. And we make these documentaries and we, we try to share the story to get more people to donate. So you're taking all the talents you learned and all the skills you learned that you, you build your business and social media, you were doing it way before anyone I knew in a big way and successful. People were doing it at the time, but they weren't monetizing it. You were monetizing it pretty early on. You saw, yeah. I remember that I was very impressed with you back in 14, 15, that you not only were using social media, which I had no idea what the heck that was, that you found a way to monetize it and leverage your talents. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. So now Thank you. what I'm hearing, you're using the same for charities. You're taking these charities and you're putting a face to them. You're putting a story to them. You're putting pictures to them. And you know how to do that right. 
Yeah, I mean, the charities are great for building schools. They're, they're great at what they do. They're great at helping animals. They're not great at telling their story. They're not great at social media. So we're trying to aid them. And, you know, now wow. I have uh, quite, a, quite a lot of experience. So we donate and we give them exposure. And, you know, that's frankly, I think, that my honor to, to use my skill set for good. That's great. That's absolutely great. Where do you see Tim Sykes five years from now? Um, hopefully more millionaire students, more charities. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to get to a thousand schools in, in five years, but we'll, we'll get closer. We'll, we'll definitely be in the hundreds of schools. So it's just one student, one school, one community, one documentary at a time. And, and I just keep going because frankly, the world needs a lot of help and, you know, students need a lot of help. Unfortunately, I get a lot of students, uh, after they get scammed, whether they've lost all their money in a crypto or, uh, a penny stock, and then they start Googling and then they find me and they saw a blog post I wrote six, nine months ago warning them, but they didn't see it at the time because they didn't believe me. Um, and then they become students. So I have a lot of students who are just broke and they just lost everything, but at least now they can use their lessons from their loss. Like remember, once upon a time as a hedge fund manager, I had a giant loss. I turned to drinking, I turned to reality shows. It was very strange, but that giant loss made me never want to take the big loss again. So sometimes a giant loss can be helpful in helping you, you know, see what the world is and prevent from, you know, it happening ever again. Oh, outstanding. All right, Tim Sykes, you just keep, you know, evolving and getting better and better. I hope to see you more often than once every five years, you know. I got to be in touch with you on all this charity stuff you're doing because I think it's just absolutely astounding. Just amazing. Thank you. Much appreciated. Just amazing. More, you know, trading, making millionaires is great, but uh, leveraging that pool of people that you have to, to use that to do good, uh, you know, I don't think there's a better reward than that. No, it's my honor, you know, and, and this is why I, I love talking about this stuff. Some people say like, oh, just do charity, just give, you know, on your own. No, like we're going to use social media to just amplify all of the charity's efforts. Like this is how they get funding. Yeah. This is how they get awareness. I should have mentioned um, right now we, we have 26 schools specifically in Bali, but because we've gone so many times, we bring influencers, we, we talk about the schools, we show it in our stories and photos. My social media followers have built another 16 schools. Um, so it, it's pretty cool where people are like, wow, I have an extra 25 or 35,000, depending on the community. And they're like, you know, how do we get in touch? So I put them in touch with Bali Children's Project or Pencils of Promise, um, and they donate. And, and this is how we, we get things done quicker. Like the, the whole way of like non-transparent trading, non-transparent charity, like that's for the stone ages. Now you have to evolve. Let's use this tool to further education, to further giving and get everyone, you know, kind of doing right and, and helping each other, you know, especially this is a, a tough time for a lot of people. We should give back. We should care about each other more. And I think social media, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that this tool has evolved to a point where literally we can spread so much information so quickly. We just have to, I think, choose some better information. A lot of social media is just garbage and a lot of negativity. Let's, let's use it for education. Let's use it for positivity. Are you doing anything in the United States in terms of your charities? Yeah, I mean, the Boys and Girls Club, we built a school um, or a library in Michigan. Um, we helped the homeless in LA. Um, we're trying to do a lot more. Um, again, the, the pandemic really set things um, back a little bit, but uh, we're working actually on a documentary uh, for uh, depressed people in Los Angeles. Um, and we're working with a few different charities because depression is a big thing. Um, working on a new documentary uh, showing how education is so important in third world countries. And I think when we show that documentary, when people start seeing like, wait a minute, 
this is how people are living in third world countries, I think they'll be more grateful for the lives that they're living in the first world. Like obviously quarantine and the pandemic stinks, but you know, we can have Netflix, we have entertainment in our homes, we can Zoom with our relatives, we have Uber Eats. Like this isn't that bad, especially compared to the third world. And, and unfortunately, as we're filming this, you know, the third world um, is not getting vaccinated anytime soon. It's, it's much slower, um, very devastating numbers coming out of, of pretty much every third world country. And we've just begun to see the consequences. And I think it's going to be a really tough 2022, 2023 uh, for a lot of the world. So we'll try to help everyone. But I also am just aware, like, even though I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm not wealthy enough to help people in America, like tremendous amounts of uh, people, like, you know, one school in America would probably be like 20 schools elsewhere. Right. So I'm also right. trying to maximize uh, my use. And I think that too many people don't really understand what's going on in third world countries. Like no one's really talking about it, especially now that tourism is, is pretty much yeah, dead. Yeah, um, yeah, tourism, need a lot of help. Well, tourism, the environment, things that, you know, just are not being focused on. Uh, you know, everyone talks about, uh, you know, uh, global warming and big, big, big topics and climate change and all that. But you're getting really, really down to the really boots on the ground stuff, you know, like uh, coral, rhino poaching, things that are possible to fix. And it doesn't take much. And this stuff is all connected too. you know, like we, we don't realize it. I think that the, the one good thing that this pandemic has has shown us is that we're all on the same planet together. What happens in Asia affects us in America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happens in other countries affects us. We can, we can no longer just be like, oh, we're you know isolated. It doesn't matter about anything else. Like people don't even realize. I mean, we're shipping all of our trash and recyclables to third world countries in Asia. China used to take a lot of the plastic and the recycling. China closed their borders to the U.S.'s. Um, recycling. Worst, so yeah. recycling in plastic is a devastating problem, which has gotten so much worse in the past year with everyone ordering Uber Eats and Amazon shipping packages. I mean, it, it's it's really going you know, to you impact know, I, us. I, I went on a JetBlue flight. And if you recall, just a couple of right before the pandemic, the thing in New York was, well, I think it was all over, was they were eliminating straws, plastic straws. Yeah. And I went on a JetBlue flight during the pandemic, and they give you a large, I mean, this thing is like, not freezer size, large Ziploc bag of water, yeah. uh, I don't know, a napkin and some chips. And yeah. I looked at it and I go, this is some huge bag. And just a couple months ago, we were fighting over straws. I go, what am I supposed to do with this after? Can I give it the action? He goes, no, we can't take it back. Yeah. I said, so this is going to end up floating in the Pacific Ocean or something? Yeah, and the plastic doesn't disintegrate. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years. It's just building up. It's, it's going to be and, crazy. And how about all the sea animals that are eating when the, when the plastic does break down? They found these whales off of, I forgot what show, with 50 to 60 pounds of plastics in them. Yeah, and then we eat a lot of the seafood. Yeah. So we're eating the plastic with yeah. the chemicals. Like, it, it's all connected. The crazy thing about the straws, one last thing before, I just got to share this. The reason why there's such an uproar over the straws, there was one video where the turtle, turtle in the straw, they pulled it out. I actually met the lady. She's down in Costa Rica. She's an, a marine biologist. That video went viral. So many people write into places like Starbucks and different companies saying, we don't want straws. Starbucks literally got rid of the straws. Unfortunately, they came up with a new strawless plastic cup where literally it's only 9% less plastic than before, but there's no straws. So people think that they fixed the problem. In reality, the cups are just as bad, right? So like we, we have to confront this. We can't just try to manage it and say, oh, no straws. So now there's no complaints. Like 
Again, education. People don't know how bad the plastic situation is. We're working on a new documentary. Hopefully uh, your audience and, and my audience will share it because we want people to watch this stuff and share it and spread awareness. Like whenever you can try to say no to plastic, I know it's annoying, but if we all do just little things, it adds up to really big changes over time. Because right now, you know, 7 billion, 8 billion people are using plastic every day. Very few people are saying like, oh no, there are some consequences to this. And unfortunately, five, 10, 20 years from now, we're gonna wish we could come back to this moment right now and do things differently. Yeah, I saw this documentary on uh, Netflix recently about the sea. And Deespiracy. Most, yeah, wow, I, start, I, I you know, usually eat salmon on Monday nights. I said, I, I just make me pasta, I told my wife. I said, this is crazy. But what got me was the straws was like 0.4%. But the big things were the sea, were the, uh, were the fishing nets. Fishing line. The yeah. fishing line that nobody's talking about. Yeah, exactly. So these are the things that we have to confront. And if the consumers start talking about this and demanding changes, the companies will be forced to. A lot, a lot of people just say, oh, it's the companies, it's not us. We control the companies. If enough people speak up, no different than the straws. Enough people complain to Starbucks about the straws. They were forced to not do the straws, even though they created a new problem. But if everyone starts saying, wait a minute, we won't tolerate this anymore to, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle. These are three of the biggest plastic producers. If we say, no, we're tired of doing this. We boycott your brand until you come up with alternatives. There are alternatives. They're just more expensive. So the companies don't want to do them because that will hurt their corporate profits. But if enough people say, we're not buying your product, and then they judge, oh, wait a minute, we're, we have a big drop in profits because less people are using our product. Let's use the environmentally friendly one. So they're forced to. Right. We, the consumers, have the power, but we must get everybody involved. It's not just enough to, you know, have a few hippies talking about this. We need massive numbers. So Seaspiracy, you know, I could go good and bad on that documentary, but it brings up a lot of awareness and awareness is how this all starts. Well, all I know is, man, I don't eat salmon on Monday nights anymore. So it did, it did impact and that's me. A start. And that, that's it a did. small change, but, but, did you, but you made it. And if billions of people start doing right. that, you see big changes over time. That's exactly what's but happening. But you saw that at the end, the, uh, you saw the, the documentary at the end, the conclusion that the guy said, he tried this, he tried that. He goes, easiest thing to do is stop eating fish. So I you just know? invested in a kelp burger company and it's made of kelp. I'm going to send you some Love kelp it. is actually a carbon negative activity because you grow more kelp. It's basically like so underwater true. farming. Yeah. Unfortunately, the problem with Fisher, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of fishermen. There's 70 million fishermen in the world. They're also feeding their families. So we're talking hundreds of millions of people depending on fish. They need something different. So what if we start, you know, underwater farming for kelp and, and seaweed, which is actually quite healthy for you. Mm -hmm. And then we start getting that and we start regenerating. Um, there's so many different love options. It, and love it, we love need it. to talk about this more. I'm sorry for, for no. boring people. Uh, this, first of all, is I love this stuff because you could speak about you can see I'm getting a little animated. This is, well, this is when I get passionate because I'm just like, we have the power, like your podcast, Twitter, share this, talk about this stuff, watch Seaspiracy on Netflix, share it with everybody. Like education is possible and we have this technology now at the most important time in history where we're destroying the world at the fastest time in history. There's something like 60 soccer fields of forests disappearing every minute. Like it's crazy how much is going on all over the world and how it's all gonna start to really get ugly in the future. 
Yeah, well, no one ever claimed that you didn't have passion, Tim. So that's 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 great. I, I mean, I think that we're the we're definitely the problem, but we're also the solution, right? right? Yeah, it's not just yeah. going to solve itself. People aren't just corporations just aren't going to stop and all of a sudden, you know, have like a a, a, a revelation where they're like, oh wow, we're just going to stop. No, we the people have to force this, and social media, I think, really can be used for good rather than just filtering your face and taking selfies. Like yeah, but I tell you, a happy day for any charity is when you join because you take social media and you know how to play the game. You it's really a happy do. day, but it's a scary day because I'm on their asses and they're, they're you know, a lot of charity people are very passive people. And I'm like, no, we don't have time to be passive. <laughs> this is war. Oh, and I get dude. in their faces and they're scared, but it's love good it, for them. Love it, love it. Tim Sykes, man, all the power to you. I hope we can speak. I hope I have you on the show uh, at the end of the year because I want to hear... Uh, now with COVID subsiding a bit in our country, travel's opening up a bit more. I want to hear about what you're doing there. You have 21 millionaires already. I hope you have another 20 by the end of this year. But more importantly, I want to know how many more charities you're helping because I really think what I, what I love about this, it's very grassroots. You're not a board of trustees. It's one guy with an idea and just you, you really could change the world. That's really yeah, what you're doing. Much appreciated, man. That's Look forward to it. Stay safe. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.